This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Liv Oaf. So we're entering November, which to me means fall, family, and food. Of course, these things are different for every family depending on their traditions. The whole idea of tradition is that it's old, that it's handed down, that it connects the past with the present. So what can we do when we change that tradition? When the old rules don't seem to fit us anymore? When the family recipe starts tasting bad? In preparation for Thanksgivings of all kinds, Second Story is proud to present Jessica Young. Skip Gates said, if there's 40 million black people, there's 40 million ways to be black. And still, there are some things black folk don't do. Black folk don't swim or play hockey. We don't do yoga. And if you're a black woman, forget about it. Between how you do your hair, how you talk, and who you share your bed with, there's only one way to be black. It was 2007. I was working temporarily in Cleveland, Ohio, teaching reading to children and adults. I'd just started dating CP, the man I eventually married, and even though we weren't yet serious, we missed each other enough to stay in touch. And I'd sunk deep into my yoga practice. That's right, I took my black body into classes and was the only black person in the room, and I was into the postures, the philosophy, and the chanting. I was all over it. That summer, I noticed that with all the yoga, my tastes were changing. I appreciated a burger and a beer, but lately I didn't want it, no matter how hungry I was. Eating meat made me feel sluggish, greasy, and dull. I just wasn't interested. That Saturday afternoon, I was on my way back to Chicago, and I realized I hadn't packed enough snacks, and I was starving. The only thing for miles around was McDonald's. Now, this was before Philando Castile, before Reikia Boyd, before Michael Brown, before white folks in red hats felt like they could treat people like me with violence, even though I knew I was black and that rural Indiana wasn't the safest place for me traveling alone, I didn't think I was taking my life into my hands by pulling off the highway. I stopped and pulled into the McDonald's drive-thru and ordered fries, an iced tea, and a chicken McSnack wrap. Y'all remember when they had those? It was the best I could do. I really didn't want a burger. Back on the highway, I dumped the fries into the sack and put the wrap in my lap. About as long as my hand, it was a white flour tortilla with flecks of yellow cheese, limp lettuce shreds, and mayo leaking out of the top. Mmm, yum. (laughs) I lifted the wrap to my face and took a bite. It gummed at the roof of my mouth. It tasted like salt and fat, and even though I could tell the chicken had been freshly fried, it was disgusting. Eat this wrap, Jess, I said to myself. You don't have anything else but these fries. You're going to get hungry. I willed myself halfway through that snack wrap, and I couldn't finish it. The chicken in my mouth was stringy and salty, and not only could I feel that it wasn't nourishing, it wasn't even tasty. I'd read before that yoga can lead you to a vegetarian diet. Yoga asks you to consider how you treat others, how you treat yourself, even the environment around you. Nonviolence is a big deal. Killing an animal just so you can eat it just doesn't sit right with some yogis. And that was it for me. 
right there on the interstate in my tiny silver Hyundai, I knew I was a vegetarian. I didn't take too much heat about the choice from my friends. No one accused me of buying into a trend. No one harassed me about getting enough protein. And I cooked at home a lot, so I ate well. But I knew that wasn't the true test. The true test was my family. A year later, I headed downstate to Danville to celebrate Christmas with my parents and my mom's family, and I dragged CP with me. This was a big deal. He isn't black. He's American-born Chinese. And while my parents were way too bougie to say anything about it, I'm sure there were whispers and side-eye. My parents also knew I wasn't eating meat anymore. It was my first family holiday as a vegetarian, so there was a lot riding on this weekend. As we prepared for the trip, CP asked me, does your family know you're a vegetarian? I shrugged. They know, but I'm sure there won't be anything there for me. My grandmother's a ham hock in the greens kind of cook. Even the macaroni and cheese will have meat in it. Well, should we buy something for you to eat? I don't know, probably. The only way I'll have anything to eat is if I bring it. So we stopped at Whole Paycheck, and we got one of those. And I know it's a cliche, but we really did this. We bought one of those tofurkey meals, a stuffed tofu roll that you roast in the oven, vegetables, cranberries, gravy, and dumplings. When we arrived the night before, my mother greeted my sweetheart with a practiced smile, but she spent her time away from him, letting us congregate with my father and the other men in the den. My grandma's a spunky old lady. She's sassy and bossy and old-fashioned. At one point, she hollered from the kitchen, Jessica, get in here and fix that man a plate. I stood up and walked into the kitchen, CP right on my heels. What did you say? She was laughing. Aren't you going to fix your man a plate? CP started to protest, but I put my hand up. His hands aren't broke. If he wants a plate, he can fix it himself. I turned to him and rolling my eyes asked, can I fix you a plate, sweetheart? <laughs> no, thank you. I'm not hungry, he said, laughing nervously. Okay, then. Thank you, Grandma. And we went back to the den. On Christmas Day, in my grandmother's kitchen, I tried to cook my food as quickly as possible. I've never really fit in in my family and really didn't want to draw attention to myself. I'd had to wait until most of the cooking was finished, but my mother had saved me a burner on the stove to use, and I managed to squeeze my tofurkey into the oven without getting meat juice all over it. While my grandmother rested in the den and sassed my cousins, my mom crossed in and out of the kitchen, trying to hide her nosiness by looking busy. When I told her I was bringing a vegetarian meal for myself, she seemed supportive. That's a great idea, Jessica, she'd said. Maybe this would work out. I wanted to leave my food on the stove where it would be hidden, but my mother wouldn't have it. So I found a back corner of the buffet line to leave my little tofurkey loaf and cranberries and dumplings and green beans in. I knew between the gutted roast turkey in pieces and a large aluminum roasting pan, the enormous pot of collards and mustard greens with islands of fat back in it, the casseroles of macaroni and cheese flecked with bacon and dressing with turkey gizzards, and don't let me forget the chitlins. God, chitlins for days. <laughs> with all of that food, I was hopeful nobody would pay my little meal much attention. Right after someone said a prayer over the meal, I gently took my mom's elbow and whispered to her, Mom, can you please look out and just make sure that no one eats too much of my food? 
I don't mind sharing, but I don't want to wind up with nothing to eat. Don't be obvious. Just keep an eye out, okay? She nodded at me. Sure, honey, she said. She immediately turned to the kitchen and dining room full of relatives and announced loudly, okay, everybody, please make sure that you don't eat any of Jessica's weird food, okay? Everyone laughed. She smirked at me. How was that? I know my mother. I have often been the butt of her jokes, and the bigger the audience, the greater her temptation to mock me. I know how to laugh at myself. I also know when her teasing is thinly veiled hostility. I stood in my grandmother's kitchen feeling humiliated and angry, willing hot tears behind my eyes to stay put, and my sweetheart took my hand. We stepped into the empty living room. Why is it always like this, I said to him. We watched as relatives piled their plates high with food, and as they did so, we quickly discovered that there weren't enough seats for everyone. We stood in the kitchen alone and waited while my mother and father, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, and cousins, every other person there sat down to eat. The two of us ate by ourselves in the kitchen once others had finished. My mother would deny it till the day she dies, but I know that day I paid for two things for bringing someone she viewed as a stranger to a family dinner, and for bringing my vegetarianism into her celebration. Black women aren't vegans. Neck bones, chicken wings, barbecue, it's as much a part of our DNA as, well, high blood pressure and diabetes. This experience shamed me so deeply that I started eating meat again. I didn't like it. After five minutes, that sluggish, greasy, dull feeling would descend over me like a glass jar coming down on a butterfly. But I didn't want to be perceived as a sellout. And if I had to eat meat to prove it, then I was willing to do that. It was worth it if I knew that others would look at me and see a woman who knew who she was. Turns out, who I was was a black woman who was a vegan. But I believed the lie that I couldn't be both. Then I met Bryant Terry. Well, met is a strong word. He gave a cooking demo at the art school I was working a few years after that holiday. Bryant Terry is a black vegan chef who lives in San Francisco. That evening, he showed me how to make collard greens that weren't soggy and devoid of nutrition. He showed me how to saute garlic and collards in olive oil with a splash of orange juice, dried cranberries, and toasted nuts. They were bright green and looked fresh and smelled amazing. But the really interesting thing he did was tell a story about being stuck in a PhD program in history and feeling like, despite all the interest in his work, he knew he didn't want to be an academic. I was doing a lot of yoga at that time, he said, and the thing about yoga is it brings to light who you really are, what's really inside you. Oh my God, he knew! He talked about how plant-based diets are a part of the black American legacy and how what we know as a standard American diet, meat and potatoes, Wonder Bread, white as snow, processed meats, casseroles, even chitlins, are a colonization of how we eat. Between the post-World War II advertising machine that sold us convenience foods and the imaginary need to eat meat at every meal, we black folks have lost the sense of how to nourish ourselves. Veganism is not a crunchy, white, hippie practice. Veganism is a black thing. I was converted. 
It was as if he'd been speaking for years what I'd known about myself and had tried to deny. I walked home to my apartment and said to my husband, eyes shining, hands clasped at my heart, sweetheart, we're vegans now. <laughs> okay, he said slowly, can we talk about this? We did. As much as I wanted us both to catch the green fever, I knew veganism would fit me better than him. But I wasn't going back. For the last time, I stopped eating meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. I got my hands on every vegan resource I could afford. I learned that conditions like hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, so prevalent in the black community are often diet-related illnesses. I learned that animals raised for consumption release more toxins into the air than all forms of transportation combined. I learned how to prepare food that was good for my body, kind to animals, and good for the environment. The next time I went back to Danville, it was just my grandmother and me. My husband had his bacon-wrapped beef roast holiday with his parents and siblings. My parents were someplace else. My grandmother cooked all the food she likes, the collars with pork, the macaroni, the turkey wings with dressing, and I brought along my sweet potato carrot squash soup, my roasted green beans and shallots, my gluten-free stuffing with orange cranberry sauce, and a white bean pot pie. It was just the two of us, her sassy self and me giving as good as I got, but still respectful. She and I sat down at her kitchen table and talked about the women at her church and the boyfriends she was beating off with a stick. We talked about CP and how we enjoyed being married. There were no snarky comments of what I was eating, no side eye at anyone's plate. There were enough seats for all of us. I sat down with my grandmother and she ate her food and I ate mine, and we were nourished. This story was curated by Ali Drum, directed by Allison Hines, and music and sound designed by Billy Eline. The Second Story podcast is produced by me, Livo. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, our 2018 to 2019 sponsor, Skadden, Arp, Slate, Meager and Floam, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Liv Oaf, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.